Hello and welcome to Pathway again. My name is Ben Marshall, if you missed it the first time, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and you're not seeing double. Last week I did preach. I get to preach two weeks in a row, so this is very exciting. I have enjoyed it, so hopefully you do as well. If not, it's going to be a while until the next time. I'm, you know, but anyway, uh, we are in a sermon series called Strength in Weakness, and this is part two. And today we actually are, are finishing our journey through the book of 2 Corinthians. So this is going to be our last sermon, at least for now, in the book of 2 Corinthians. Um, so this has been a, a journey through this, this book written by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And as we have journeyed through this, we, we've seen a lot of different things. And so as we get to the end of this series, I thought it would be so much fun to give a pop quiz. Okay, so I hope you're ready. I hope you've got your thinking caps on. I hope you've got all of your pathway notes from the previous 19 weeks of this sermon series. All right, this is week 19. So 18 weeks of this sermon series in part one and part two. Are you guys ready? I'm just kidding. The pop quiz is not in relation to this series that we've been going through. I don't need to know, you know, what sermon titles you remember, what points you remember, or any of that. But we are going to give you a pop quiz, okay? But this quiz is a little bit different. It is how Pennsylvanian are you? Okay, how Pennsylvanian are you? Now, if you're here and you're like, I'm not from Pennsylvania, like I'm going to fail this quiz, that's okay. I'm not from Pennsylvania either, and I did surprisingly well on this exam, okay? I, I mean, I guess it was a 60%, so that's not great, but it's, it's okay, all right? So we're going to give you a quiz. We're going to see how Pennsylvanian you actually are. Are you guys ready? Are you sure? All right, we'll start with a softball. First question is, which town is the chocolate capital of the United States? I don't even need to read you the options. It is Hershey. Yes, congratulations. You, a lot of you at least, are one for one. Okay, good job. Now, question number two. In Pennsylvania, who are the happiest people on the first Monday following Thanksgiving? Yes, okay, good job. If you said anything else, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. I heard hunters everywhere. You're right. It is the hunters because it's like the first day of hunting or something. Not a hunter. I'm not sure. Um, this one is one I will tell you I got wrong, okay? So I did not get this question right. I liked some of the names, though. So the most famous groundhog in the world is Puxatawney Phil, right? No argument there, okay? But discerning fans of furry, furry weather prophets know that the one true groundhog is A, Octoraro Orphe, B, Pittsburgh Pete, or C, Newcastle Ned. All right, who thinks A, the Octoraro, whatever, whatever? Okay, who thinks B, Pittsburgh Pete? Pittsburgh Pete? Sounds kind of like a pirate, actually. Um, and then Newcastle Ned. What do we got? Newcastle Ned. Who? Whoever guessed A, you're right. It's Octoraro Orphe. I had no idea. I was like, never even heard that name. Pittsburgh Pete flows. I kind of wish it was Newcastle Ned. Like, it sounds more exciting. But it's Octoraro Orphe, whoever that is. Um, you can look it up later. Uh, question number four. At Thanksgiving dinner... What do you call the starchy mixture that is often stuffed in turkey or served on this side dish in a casserole dish? I heard dressing. I heard stuffing. Stuffing. Anybody think filling? Anybody say filling? No? Okay, I apologize. The quiz that I found online, which is definitive, okay, it said C, filling. I know. Yep, yep, you're right. I know, I'm just telling you, I, you know, there was, 
There was another option that I just left off that said, I, I think this, but I think you want me to say this. And so, yeah, you guys are right. It's right. You know more than I do, so I'll take your word for it. Uh, how does number five, I don't even know how to pronounce this one because I'm not from here, but how does an order of Dippy X, did I say that right? Dippy X sound? Did I say that right? I'm not sure. How does an order of Dippy X sound? So, uh, not my style, anybody? Not my style. Yeah, I can dig it, like I like it. Or what is that? What in the world is that? Okay, that's kind of where I landed. Um, this one's really up to you. I said not my style um, because, like, I don't really like them too runny. These are dippy eggs, right? Like runny eggs is my understanding of it. Um, I like them a little bit, like, like over medium is my preference. But that's just my breakfast choice. So anyway, thank you for taking that test. I hope you feel decent at least about your knowledge of Pennsylvania. You learned something, or a lot of us learned something about groundhogs today that we did not know that we were going to learn. Hopefully that's not the only thing you take from this sermon. But uh, as Paul kind of gives it this final call to the Corinthians, he's going to, to tell them to examine themselves or test themselves. And so we've called this, this message actually final call. This is kind of Paul wrapping up the letter, bringing it in these final pieces uh, to the puzzle. So we're going to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. So you can go ahead and turn there in your Bible or on the YouVersion Bible app, or you can uh, go to the Pathway app and tune in there as well. And uh, while you do that, I just want to send a quick greeting to hello everybody in Moon, welcome, and hello everybody in the Classic service or the 1045 service or watching online or wherever you are, hello to you and welcome to Pathway. So here we go, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verses 5 and 6. So we'll read these and then we'll go into their first point. So here's what Paul says. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. All right, just these two verses here. This is going to lead us into our first point, and then we'll get into this idea of, of the testing and, and some of that. But Paul points to the reality that they, if you have passed this test, then Christ Jesus lives in you. And so I just want to just go into that point for, for a moment just to, to look at this reality that, that this is such beautiful news of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Is that it's not trying to do this in our own power. It's not trying to do this in our own ability or our own strength or our own understanding, but it is Christ Jesus in you. It is Christ Jesus in me. It is not my power or my ability that makes me righteous, that, that helps me to follow Jesus. It, it is the Holy Spirit power inside of me that, that lives out of me. Like, this is God working in and through me. This is not of my own works. But it is God's grace. It is Christ Jesus in me. Remember that, that Paul wrote earlier in this letter, he said, for when I am weak, then I am Strong. He understood that it is Christ Jesus in him. It is not his ability. It is not his cleverness. It is not his authority, but it is Christ Jesus in him. And there's this communal language again that we are going to pick up on as Paul ends this letter. This, this idea of doing things together, of realizing that one, it's Christ Jesus in me, and it's also us communally together, the only way that we can actually live this out. We, we need one another. So we see that in this, this understanding of Christianity that there's this coming together of these one another's, these brothers and sisters in Christ, this communal aspect of things. 
It's not an easy way of living to, to be vulnerable with other people, to, to be humble and, and confess your sins and allow other people into those messy areas of your life. It's not an easy way of life, but it is what we are called to in Christ. It's a, a way of life that we are called into. And so our first point is this, that, that Jesus Christ changes every piece of my life. Changes every piece of my life. That's your blanks there in your pathway notes if you're following along in the handout. Jesus Christ changes every piece of my life. If you remember last week, we talked about how that the, uh, one of the greatest, or the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not love the Lord your God when you feel like it, at a time that's convenient for you, in a way that's convenient for you, or in, in whatever pieces of yourself you want to give to him. It's all-inclusive. It's this holistic love of God. You hold nothing back. And so in the same way, Jesus changes every single piece of my life. He changes every single piece of your life. He wants to reach into it and transform it into the new creation way of living through him. So it is Christ Jesus in you and in every single part of your life. So Paul's challenge here, his final call, is a personal and communal question. It's personal to ask the question, hey, is Christ Jesus in you? Does Jesus Christ reside in you? Like, are you a follower of Jesus? It's a very personal question. But it's also very communal in this examine yourself or, or test yourself. Because sometimes if we just are, are alone and left to our own thoughts and advices and processes, we can start to think that like, well, hey, at least I'm not like that person over there. Right? We start to compare ourselves with other people. And then we start to like elevate ourselves based on like a standard that, it is, that is somebody else instead of Jesus. And so that's not an accurate representation. What we need to do is look at, examine ourselves in, in comparison to Jesus and realize that like, yeah, man, there's still ways that I need to love people better. There are ways that I need to be more patient. There are ways that I need to be more humble, more kind, there's actually a lot of work to do, right? Like, we, we start to, like, whoo, in comparison to Jesus, like, yes, I have a long way to go, but I'm on the way, right? And so we enter the, into this and see that Jesus Christ changes every piece of my life, and we want to test ourselves and, and see what does the fruit of our lives reveal, like the actions of our lives. Paul goes into this with this test, and he's not questioning whether or not they are followers of Jesus. He doesn't question their salvation, but he says, hey, what are you doing as somebody who claims to follow Jesus? Like, what are, where are the actions of your life? What is the fruit of your life revealing about your relationship to Christ? One commentator said this. He said he was, Paul was asking them to examine their faith and their life to see if they were walking in fellowship and in conformity to God's commands. Again, to see if they were walking in fellowship and in conformity to God's commands. The reason Paul was calling them to this is because if you read back at the end of, or kind of middle of, of chapter 12, Paul says, hey, I'm afraid when I'm going to, or when I come to you, that I'm going to find these things to be true. That I'm going to find division and pride and arrogance, like all these different things, and jealousy and envy and, and some of these kinds of things that, that he listed out. He said, I'm, I'm afraid that these things are going to be true when I come. I hope it's not true. But I'm going to call you to examine yourself to see, is it true that these things are present among you? And if it is, it's a call to repentance to say, hey, what you say you believe and how you live don't line up. Is there something in you that, that you say one thing, like you say you're a, a follower of Jesus, but your life, like, does it, does it fall in line with Jesus having changed every piece of your life? Or is there something maybe you're holding back? 
So we also need this examination and, and this test. And, and when we think about our own lives, no one knows our innermost thoughts. No one knows our heart better than ourselves. Except for God, because he made you and he knit it all together like in your mother's womb. Like, obviously, God knows more about you than you know about yourself and, and all this. But, but humanly speaking, no one knows more about your innermost thoughts and where the condition of your heart is than you. But I'm afraid that in the busyness and, and just the fast pace of life that, that we tend to live, we don't really make the time to examine. We don't really make the time to test ourselves, to think through these things, to give ourselves some space to just like be in the moment and do some work between us and the Lord. We don't always like slow down. And sometimes it's not always our choice, right? Sometimes you try to slow down and it's like, then you got a kid like throwing stuff at you or you got like, you know, like whatever, like work happens or you know, like sometimes time just like gets away from you or other people enter the picture or like somebody else woke up or whatever it is or, or you know, somebody called or you got to mess it. Like life is, is just full of distractions. So no one knows you like you do and no one can take this test for you. No one can answer these questions for you. You have to do it yourself. You have to look at how, how can I be growing? How can I be learning? How can I be continually forming and, and reforming and being transformed by Jesus Christ more into his image and likeness? It's not about perfection, but it's about the, this continual process of growth, of, of learning, of, of discerning and understanding. I like what Martin Luther said. Martin Luther opened the Reformation really by 90, nailing his 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And uh, the very first of these theses said this. He said, Our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Again, he, he says, Our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And so re repentance of sin ought to be the, this continual habit that we are just always in the practice of. Because I don't know about you, but man, when I wake up, like, and try to make it through a day without sinning, I fail before I even get out of bed. Because I wake up and like my back hurts. I'm like, oh my goodness, like again? I start like complaining, right? I'm starting to grumble. And go, it's like, it's really hard to go through a day and be perfect. If you've done it, let me know your secret. But here we enter into it, and it's like, it's not about perfection, but it's about continuing to submit ourselves to the Lord, continuing to understand and look at what does it look like to follow Jesus, to follow this new way of living, to be a new creation in Christ. If you remember the last week what we talked about with the paradoxes, um, the paradox of power, but the, one of the points that we talked about last week was this paradox of new life. The paradox of new life says that the old life seeks to return us to what new life in Christ has freed us from. Again, the, the old life seeks to return us to what new life in Christ has freed us from. And so we are new creations in Christ. Everybody who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has come, or the old has gone, and the new has come, and yet the old life still calls. It still draws us back, which is why we need to be in the continual practice of repentance, of, of confessing our sins and just owning them before the Lord, allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us of them and, and confessing and repenting and turning from them. So, a lot of talk about testing and examining, and we can't just talk about it, right? We, we need to be, what we talked about last week, we gotta be doers of the word, not hearers only. So, it's gonna get awkward in here for a minute because we're gonna spend, I'm gonna literally set a timer on my watch, for 60 seconds, okay? And I'm just gonna ask you, just examine yourself. 
All right, I'm going to put a few examination questions on the screen. The first question is, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Like, we have to start there. Do you know Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? How you answer that question changes where you go. So, if your answer is yes, then the question is, are you fully surrendered to him? Are you fully submitted to his way, or are you holding back? And then what are you holding back, and why are you holding back? And like, it goes into a whole bunch of other questions that hopefully you, you, you have time to go into, but maybe write some stuff down. And then if your answer to that, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if your answer is no, why? What, what's holding you back? Like, what do you, what do you have against Jesus? What do you not know about Jesus? Like, why have you have maybe not made that decision to follow Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? And just start to go down that, that trail of, of thought and maybe write some stuff down. But here we go. You guys ready? Let me get to the stopwatch. We're going to have 60 seconds. Ready? Father, we thank you just for one minute. One minute to slow down. One minute to think, to rest in your presence. Father, we pray that this one minute would turn into more minutes later today. More minutes later this week. Maybe even inviting others into some of these minutes of examination and testing and questions and wondering and pursuing answers. I pray it would not be just something here right now in this moment, but it would extend beyond. But we thank you for this minute. God, we pray for the rest of this message that you would help us to be doers of what you have for us, not just hearers. We pray all it's in your name. Amen. All right, so now that we've examined ourselves, we can move on. We, we've done it, we've practiced it. But don't let that moment go, right? Whatever you thought of, whatever you wrote down, whatever is still resonating in your mind, in your heart, like don't let those feelings and those thoughts, don't let them go. Continue to think on them. Share them with somebody else. Maybe share your answers with them. So moving into what Paul calls the Corinthians to next, he moves on to talk about godly living. And so we're going to read the next part here, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 7 through 10. Here's what Paul writes. He said, Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. 
This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority of the Lord, uh, the authority of the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. This brings us to point number two. The first one, again, that Jesus Christ changes every piece of my life. The second one says, Jesus Christ enables me to live a godly life. Jesus Christ enables me to live a godly life. Again, it's not about the the work or the ability of myself, but it is Jesus Christ working in me and working through me that, that changes every piece of my life and changes how I live. He enables us to live a godly life. Paul had that prayer there in verse 7. He, he said, we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Okay? That's a, a tall order, right? You got to pray that. <laughs> we pray that you will not do anything wrong, right? And, and this is not, again, calling them to perfection, but to godly living, to continual growth, to continually becoming more and more and more like the example that Jesus set for us. Because that's what the Christian walk is. It's a continual journey of growing and learning and understanding more and more and more. I'll tell you what, I'm a pastor, right? So, like, this is what I do is, like, I study the Bible and I talk to people about the Bible, right? But I continue to learn from the Bible. Like, right now, I, I just restarted reading through the book of Genesis. And I have done the, like, hey, read through the Bible in a year and all that kind of stuff. But, like, the pace that you have to read is really fast, right? And you miss a day and you're like, well, there goes that, right? Because now I'm reading 37 chapters in one day. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to turn on the audio Bible and, and triple speed and try to, like, not understand anything. But, hey, I made it through, right? We've all maybe not been there, but that's just me. So I'm just trying to take it slow, just reading one chapter a day. And just trying to see things, maybe things that I haven't picked up on. And I got to tell you, there are things that I'm reading in the first, I'm like nine days into this, like the first nine chapters of Genesis. And I'm like, man, how did I miss this? Like, and I, like I've read it many times. And it's just like, wow, I'm like, this is like fresh and new. And it's like, how did I not see this here before? And so it's like, it doesn't matter how many times you read it. There's always something new there for you. There's always like a, a new piece that you pick out of like, I swear I've never read that before. Like, I've read this book before, but I've never read that before. And, and it's just like this, this amazing, like, you just continue to learn. You continue to grow. It's this process of, like, God's word is fresh and new and, and continues to communicate. And even if you've read the same thing over and over and over again, it, it hits different because you're in a different phase of life. You're in a different mindset. You're in a different place. So continue learning. Continue growing. So, Paul wants them, his desire for them is that they would just live godly lives, that they would be obedient to the word of God. And Paul references that he's going to visit them again, and and again, he's like, hey, like, when I come, have this dealt with. Like, repent of these things that I'm afraid that I'm going to find among you. Repent of them so that when I come, I don't have to use the apostolic authority that's been given to me to discipline you, to, to call you out and bring you into a place of repentance. Like, work it out amongst yourselves. It's what he hopes and he prays for them, that they would, again, live in the new creation. He references this strength in weakness where where he says, um, in verse 9, he says, We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. What he means there is when, when they are strong, it means that they are obediently following the word of God, that they have come to a place of repentance and restoration. And in that strength, then Paul doesn't have to come in and be strong for them. He can be weak and meek and humble and submissive in their presence because he, he doesn't have to come in and say, hey, look, now we have to go into this discipline type stuff. Now we have to get into this confrontation because of my love for you, because I want to strengthen you. He's like, hey, 
we love it when you guys are strong and we can be weak. Because when we come to you, it can be an enjoyable visit for both of us where we can minister to one another. We don't have to come in and, and have to bring in like this loving confrontation. It can be an, an easier, softer, kinder visit because you are in a place of strength. And so he's hoping that's going to be the case. He's not backing down. He's not saying like, hey, listen, I don't really like want to confront you guys, so if you could just like take care of that before I get there. He's saying, hey, out of my love for you, like I'll do it when I get there. Like I, I got no problem doing that. But if I can get there and you guys have already dealt with this, even better for us both. Because now you are living in this plan that God has for you. You are living in, in this flourishing relationship with one another and with the Lord. And I can come into that and, and just be blessed because you are in that. Instead of having to come in and, and assert my authority that God has given. So Paul enters into that and he wants to, to, to say like, hey, repent of this. Turn away from it. And again, it's this communal understanding of them coming together and being restored. Paul talks about this restoration in them. And so he reminds them, like, hey, you're not doing this alone. You're doing this together. It can be really hard to live life alone. Like, we were made to be in community. We were made to do this life together. And so if you find it challenging to, to live a godly life, if you find it challenging to, to even enter into a place of repentance and you don't know like what to do or how to do it or how to grow in your faith, I cannot encourage you strongly enough, get in a small group. Okay, get in a small group. If you don't know what that means, if you don't, don't know where small groups meet or what time they meet, like come talk to me, find Pastor John, find somebody in a I am on the way shirt, specifically the green ones, they know everything, and talk to them. Get plugged into a small group, a Sunday morning group, a Thursday night group, whatever it might be. Get plugged into a group of other people who are following Jesus and doing their best to, to do it together. It's not an easy way of life, but, but we need one another to do this together. So why does the church need full restoration? Again, Paul has talked over and over about the, the issues going on in the Corinthian church. These things that he's pointing out and calling them to. He's saying, hey... Get to a place of full restoration. Like our prayer for you is that your relationships would be restored. Your relationship with God and your relationship with one another. He, he prays that the Corinthians would, would come back to actual gospel living. That they would remember what Jesus Christ has done for them and, and the work that he has powerfully done in their midst. He desires that they would live wholeheartedly again for Christ. This is a place where they have been, but they are no longer so he's calling them back. Again, that, that old life just draws us back and draws us back. And so he's saying, no, like stop, get in that new life and stay there and be together with other people who are in that new life and, and do it together. Paul, again, has this deep love for them as their spiritual father, the, the kind of love that, that is pursuing them even when he receives nothing in return. He, he's giving even though he's not receiving much in return. He, he seeks to build them up, but also the kind of love that is com comfortable confronting them in their sin, comfortable mourning the reality of the sin that they're living in and, and challenging them to, to live a different way. And also the kind of love that, that prays for them. He doesn't just talk about them behind their back. He confronts them eye to eye, and he can, can, like, goes into that with a, a prayerful heart and understanding. It's a sacrificial kind of love. One commentator talked about this, this kind of prayer that, that Paul prays for them, and he, and he kind of brings it in this way. And he says, what should we pray for those who persecute us, that God would deepen his work in their lives. What should we pray for those who don't like us or those who don't agree with us? That God would deepen his work in their lives. 
What should we pray for those who are closest to us? That God would deepen his work in their lives. Right? We need to not just be people who are doing this in community, but also people who are praying for one another, praying for people who like us, people who don't like us, people that we like, people that we don't like. We need to be prayerful people. Paul prays for the Corinthians often because of his heart for them and his desire for them. As we move into this last section of verses, verses 11 through 14, Paul just real quick hits a, a few really important elements. And so we're going to nail down on them for a, a brief moment, but here's what Paul writes in this third section of verses. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This brings us to point number three, which says Jesus Christ brings these three things. Not just these three things, but these three things here. Restoration, unity, and peace. Jesus Christ brings restoration, unity, and peace. Now these words, in our cultural moment, can at times be filled with baggage. But let's look at them in, in the way that, that Paul meant these. In this restoration and unity and peace. He's calling them toward these, these actions of godly living. That they would be encouraging one another. That they would be of one mind. That they would be living in peace toward one another. The idea that he means behind it, striving for full restoration, is to mend what has been broken. Strive for full restoration. Mend what has been broken. It's literally to, to set things right. Setting things right requires something more than, than just taking the high road. That's good. Like, yeah, take the high road, but it, it takes more than that to, to set things right. This striving for full restoration requires an intentional humility and a willingness to take the first step forward toward healing in a relationship. It's not just taking the high road, but it's actually seeking healing and restoration. And often it requires you to take that first step. So let me ask, are there any relationships that you're in that need a little bit of restoration? that maybe have some tension-filled moments, that maybe are broken, that need mending, need setting right. Odds are in a room this size, like the answer is very much a yes, right? There are relationships that we know need mending. And at times we can be like, well, why do I have to be the one that mends it? Like, they did it, right? It's their fault. Like, they, they can come to me. They can talk to me about it. Right? And we start to like play this up and like it's kind of starting to get a little bit prideful about like, well, no, like they wronged me. I'm not gonna do it. Like, you come first. You go first. Right? I'll do it when you apologize. I'll I'll be okay, right? But it's not we don't want to take that first step. But that's not what Christ calls us to. He calls us to a place of weakness, not strength, not using that wrong in a way that kind of one-ups that person, in, in a way that kind of like is, is like, I have something that I can hold against you. I'm going to hold on to it because I don't want to let it go. He calls us to a place of, of, in our weakness, to humbly go and seek restoration, to strive for full restoration. 
laying down your right to be offended. So Jesus brings restoration. It's the kind of restoration that, that only Jesus can bring. Because again, it's Christ in you. It's not, like, it's not like, oh, I'm so saintly, I'm so kind and forgiving. No, that's not it at all. It's because Jesus has called me to it. I don't really want to do it, but Jesus has called me to it. And so I'm going to be obedient to what God has called me to. I'm going to be weak in my submission to him, and I'm going to say, yes, God, I hate every moment of this, but I will do it because you've called me to it in obedience. So Jesus brings restoration. He also brings unity. He brings unity. A, a people lacking unity can't really encourage one another or be of one mind. And that's what Paul calls them to. He says, hey, people that, that don't just strive for full restoration, but encourage one another and be of one mind. You can't do that if you're not unified. And again, we're unified in Christ. Like Jesus is who brings this unity. There's a, a connection here that, that has to be with Christ at the center. As he talks about encouraging one another, again, it's not just positive words that he's talking about. He's not just saying like, dude, you're great. Like, that's awesome. Good job. And that's it, right? Like, that's not the encouragement that he's talking about. He's like, hey, good job singing. Like, good job, whatever. Like, it, it goes deeper than that. The Greek word here literally means like, like exhortations. It's not just encouraging, saying like, hey, you're doing a good job. But it's also bringing into the, the, the challenge and the confronting that Paul has been doing. He's saying, hey, you're doing a good job. But, but also, like, don't, don't neglect this part. Don't forget about this here. It, it calls and challenges and exhorts them. It builds them up. And, and this is what we're called to do. We are called to, to build one another up, to, to strengthen one another, and to point one another or exhort one another toward godly living, toward living as the example that Christ set for us. So we want to encourage one another. We want to exhort one another to be of one mind, to be unified in, in our pursuit of Christ in godly living. The idea that he presents in live in peace is not just a, uh, like, like a one-moment type of thing. It's a, a cultivation of live in a, in a way that is peacemaking and peacekeeping. Live in peace. Don't, it, like peace doesn't just happen. It, it takes work. And so we need to cultivate it. We need to be continually working at this. We're going to experience relationships and situations that are unpeaceful. Like, it doesn't bring peace. It doesn't feel peaceful. It feels very chaotic, very divisive, very whatever. And we need to go into that space and cultivate peace, to live in peace, to pursue it together. Sometimes lack of peace has to be overcome, and, and again, we, we cannot do this without Christ in us working this out. We can't do it in our own strength or our own power because we just don't, if I can be honest, we don't want to. Sometimes it's easier to not pursue peace. It's easier to not pursue restoration. It's easier to just live in the, in the brokenness and, and just like, man, I don't, I don't have the time, I don't have the energy, I don't have the capacity, whatever it might be. But that's not what Christ calls us to. Again, it's not in your strength. We do this through his power. As we are weak, for, for in my weakness, then I am strong. This is what Paul calls us to do. And then this, this piece about the holy kiss. Okay, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, this feels awkward. It feels a little bit like, uh, okay, what do we do here? So, this is not something that we practice in church today, right? Most of you did not come in and receive a kiss from anyone, okay? Unless, like, you're related or something like that, or, like, maybe it's been a long time since you've seen each other, and maybe, like, from a different uh, state, or, like, you know, what, whatever it might be, like, most of you came in and, and did not receive a, a kiss, okay? So, 
That being the case, uh, this idea of the holy kiss, it kind of like sealed the deal on this unity and this peace in the church. It's something that the church used as a, like this affection toward one another. This, This idea, it was widely practiced among the early Christians as a manner of greeting, a sign of acceptance, and an imparting of blessing. This custom could well have been used to express the unity of the Christian fellowship. And so Paul is saying, hey, once you have been fully restored, then you can greet one another with a holy kiss. Like, he can't say that part without talking about the restoration part, because if you greet one another with a holy kiss, it's not a holy kiss if you still are at odds with one another, if it's not been restored. So he's saying, hey, when you can get to a place where you can give each other a holy kiss, that's when you know that you've been fully restored. That's when you know that brotherly love and affection has been restored between one another because there's now this unity again that happens, this restored relationship. So it it was evidence of the work of God happening in their midst that he could say, now greet one another with a holy kiss because you have done the hard work of relationship and you've strived or striven or strove, whatever the past tense is of strive for full restoration. So because you did that, now greet one another with a holy kiss. Welcome one another in with loving arms, with open arms. Bring people into your home. Dine with them. Have meals with them. Do life with them because now you are fully restored. You are encouraging one another. You are of one mind and you are living in peace. So now you can greet one another with a holy kiss. And then Paul ends his letter in in this beautiful way, speaking of the Holy Trinity. Here we see Jesus Christ and God and the Holy Spirit all in one place. This is, again, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there are different elements here of what each one does. And so he says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He's hoping that they will remember the grace that God gave to them as he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for their sins. Remember the grace of God, that this is not something that you worked for. This is something that God freely gave. Live in that grace. Let this be the the way that you live your life, knowing that you don't deserve it, but God gave it anyway. That God gave you love. He sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins, regardless of how you feel about him, regardless of how you treat him. Jesus died for you. In that love, Paul reminds them, remember this grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the love that God has for you. Let this be a motivation that the love of Christ compels you to do these things. May the love of God be the motivation for this restoration, for this peace, for this encouragement. And then the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Again, this communal idea, this fellowship with the Holy Spirit, that we may have rich fellowship together that the Holy Spirit alone can bring. So again, we we see this wonderful reminder of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it reminds us of what all of them have done, of what God has done through his son Jesus. And how he sent Jesus to be his representative on this earth. That that Jesus is literally God in a body. If you wonder what is God like, look at Jesus. He is God in the flesh. And Jesus lived on this earth a perfect life. The perfect life that we could not do on our own. And then he was crucified in weakness. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12. 
He was in submission to God's will and God's plan that, that Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. He was dead and, and buried for three days. And then in the power of God, he was resurrected from the dead. And then he went to a bunch of places for, for a number of days and they met with a bunch of people while he was still on this earth. And then he ascended. like He rose, not just from the dead, but then he rose from the earth and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And as Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came because Jesus was bound to a physical body where he couldn't be in a whole bunch of different places at one time. But the Holy Spirit was sent so that the Holy Spirit could, could literally reside in every single follower of Jesus Christ. So again, it's not your power, it's not your ability, it's not your will, it's the Holy Spirit living inside of you, the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in you, who stamps that, that seal of salvation on your life. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see what God has done for us, what he offers to us. Have we received it? And if we've received it, are we living in it? Thinking back to those examination questions, have you by faith believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If your answer is no, right now, the offer's out there. Right? God is beckoning with, with open arms, drawing you in. All you have to do is choose weakness. <laughs> you have to choose submission. You confess your sins. Confess that you are a sinner in, in need of a Savior, that you cannot save yourself. You humbly admit that, that you can't do this on your own. You ask Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. As he is your savior, he saves you from the penalty and the payment of sin. As he is your Lord, he is the one guiding and directing and showing you the way of life. Not your own will, but his will and plan. So have you by faith believed in Jesus Christ? If you want to talk more about that, you can come up and, and find me. You can talk to somebody uh, down front or, or somebody who, who you want to pray with. And uh, you, you can make that decision tonight to just pray a prayer of confession and repentance and restoration and experience peace with God. If you have done that before, you're not off the hook because you also have to choose weakness every single day. You have to choose submission to God because for in when I am weak, then I am strong. That's where we get this strength in weakness. It's a different way of living. It's a different way of understanding. That's what Christ calls us to. It's not a way that looks normal or looks easy or always looks good, but it is what is best. He invites us to follow him on that way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this letter to the Corinthians, for all that we've been able to learn and glean from it. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and, and all that he shared with them. God, I pray that our lives would, would be very different because we have spent time in this book. We've spent time studying your word. I pray that we would have allowed your word to, to speak into our hearts and our lives, to change us from the inside out. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And as you go, I would love to just pray over you this last verse that Paul shares. Because what a benediction, what a, what a go out and, and remember this and live this that he gives us in these words. So, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. I hope you'll take some time this week to examine yourself further and let the Spirit guide you as you consider the questions that Pastor Ben challenged us with today. The presence of Jesus changes everything. We can experience His peace and restoration even in this moment. Thank you again for joining us for Worship Online. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.